0: matthew chapter 5 verses 1 to 12 introducing the sermon on the mount now when jesus saw the crowds he went up on a mountainside and sat down his disciples came to him and he began to teach them he said blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for some in the way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Amen. Thank you very much. <clears throat> so we've just heard what are called the Beatitudes. And it forms part of the most fundamental teaching of Christ. And it echoes down through the ages. And it resonates with us all. Each of those verses calls us into action. An action that can challenge us. Jesus tells us that many of the attributes that we are conditioned to think are good in in the modern world aren't necessarily the attributes that he values in us. Things like greed, power, success, strength, selfishness. They're not what the Bible says are the attributes that bring us blessing. He told us, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the poor pure of heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is telling us that we win by coming last. We become first when we put everybody else in front of us. We've seen a lot of politics on the television recently, and actually you can see a little bit of this in a very, very small way in the way that some of the politicians behave, particularly in America, but not just there. I watched uh, President Obama and Vice President Joe Biden giving a a speech to, uh, to talk about Donald Trump winning the presidency. And as they finished the speech, they walked back into the White House. And as they approached the door to the White House, you saw Joe Biden drop back a couple of steps to let Obama in first. He is the president after all. But then if you watched Obama, he swiftly and gently put his arm around Joe and as they got to the door, eased him in first. You see this particularly when world leaders leaders gather. They all want to be last through the door. Now I would love to think that that's because they really understand the meaning of these words. My fear is that it's just become a power play to them to become last, making them first. There are lots of ways that, that God Can call us to be peacemakers. And I've got a little story I'd like to share. A sort of a parable. It's a little bit like the ones that Jesus told. It does come from the Middle East. But I do need some help. I need seventeen volunteers. You, you, don't, you don't need to come to the front, you can maybe just stand, stand where you are, but I'd like 17 people, we're, we're going to talk about a rich, a rich man in the Middle East, and he was so rich he had 17 camels, so if anybody would like to look after one of his camels, please, thank you. Don't worry too much. Camel's over here. We're doing well. One more. I don't think we've got anybody over this side. Let's. Dan wants to do it. Have a camel, Dan. I'm really sorry, I know it's it's Sunday morning, but there may be a little bit of maths involved in this. So once upon a time, there was a very rich man. He lived in the deserts of the Middle East. You could tell how rich he was, because he owned lots of things. And, And at that time, how many camels you owned was a real indicator of your prosperity and your success. And he didn't own two, or four, or six. You might be able to guess he had 17 camels. He'd led a peaceful and prosperous life. And when he was old and very near to his death, he wrote his will. And he wanted to leave all his wealth between three people. His only son, his grandson, and one nephew. And the will said this. One half of my riches should go to my only son. One third should go to my grandchild. And one ninth should go to my nephew. Now that seemed pretty fair to everybody. And soon after the rich man died, they came to divide up the camels. So first, his son, he gets half of the 17 camels. So can anybody work out how many camels that is? Angela? Angela? It is eight and a half. Now there's a slight problem there, isn't there? In that half a camel's not a particularly nice thing to give. So let's let's have a think about his grandson. So he got a third. Can we do that? Anybody work out what a third of 17 camels is? Nicola. Oh. Well, they could try that. It's not in the script, but they could try it. (laughs) No, you've not ruined it. Don't worry, don't worry. So it would be five and two-thirds camels. So let's try the nephew, see if we can do that one first. So he gets a ninth of 17 camels. Can anybody do that? There's no way we can get a ninth, is there, out of that? Now, the, the three of them became really frustrated. And they got very angry with, with each other. And all of these three, three men were leaders of tribes. And they, they started posturing to, to fight each other and, and wage war. And they got, they got weapons and started campaigning. And it, it was starting to look really bad. Now, there was a very, very poor man who lived nearby, and he wanted to help, but he had very little. He didn't have any influence. He didn't have very much at all. He wanted to broker some peace, but what could he do? The only thing he had was a camel. So can I ask Andy, will you be the the poor man there with the camel? So he gave his camel to the estate of the rich man, to try and help. And now they had 18 camels. So the son would get half of the 18 camels. Can anybody work out what half of the 18 camels is? Nine camels. So the son gets nine camels. And then the grandson gets a third of the 18 camels. Can anybody work that one out? Six camels. So that's nine plus six. So we've used 15 of the camels. And finally, the nephew gets a ninth of the 18 camels. Does anybody know what that is? Not three, no. Two. He gets two camels. So everybody then is able to have their camels and actually there's one left over so Andy gets his camel back. So (laughs) a lot of you will have worked out that there's a little maths trick there. It's not really about the math trick. You could, if you've not worked it out now, you can work it out later. It's trying to tell us about making peace. It's trying to tell us to think about what we can do. When we think we can't do anything, what can we do to help bring about peace? We can pray, we can try and respond with love. Christ calls us to be aware of our needs and others' needs, to strive for justice, to seek peace, to love without condition or prejudice. But the call to love is harder than the call to hate. It can be easy sometimes to respond to news stories and, and things that we see, all the things that we see on the television with hate or hateful thoughts you know we've seen so much on the news over the last few days that so many people have been upset about have you seen what they've done to the Toblerone (laughs) but it is it is about love it's about trusting in God to make the best of whatever the situation Whatever the news, we need to trust in God and love each other. Sometimes it's easy to pick on others. Pick on people who may not be as strong as you. Pick on people who may be a little bit different than you. It's easy to hate those that we're fighting. You know, whether that's as individuals or as a nation or as a world. You know, we can hate the people who are doing such terrible things in Afghanistan or Syria or Iraq or wherever in the world. It's so much harder to do what Christ commands us to do. It's so hard to forgive. It's hard to build friendships and respect. It's hard to move that move outside of our comfort zone and reach out to those who are different or strange or lonely. I was looking at, at various sort of conflicts and, and wars and things as I, was, um, as I was preparing today. And one of the ones that, that particularly strikes me is the trouble that we've had in, the North, in Northern Ireland over, over the years. When I was... When I was younger, I couldn't see any end to it. Nobody really knew why it had started. Nobody really knew what the problem was. Everybody had forgotten the original quarrel. It just became self-sustaining because of retaliation after retaliation. But that retaliation can only stop when we stop keeping tally of who did what to who, when we start to forgive each other and love each other. I, I, I did a, a course many years ago at work that, where, they, where they spoke about why people do things. And however evil or mad you think somebody is, they're almost certainly doing what they're doing for what they see as a positive reason. It probably isn't a positive reason, and it may you know they, they may need to learn. But <clears throat> I think what we've seen over, over elections, over Brexit, over Trump is that shouting at people and saying, "You mustn't think that way or you're evil or you're this or you're that." It doesn't stop them thinking that way. It just stops the dialogue. It stops people discussing calmly and with love. People who vote in a particular way are doing it because they need an outcome. They're not doing it usually because they're evil. There are over 6 billion of us in the world who say we believe in God. That's around 85% of the total population of the world. We all believe that God says We need to live in peace. We all believe that God says we need to forgive. We all believe that God says we need to love. We all need to believe that that's what we believe. All of those people who've given their lives and continue to give their lives for our society, for people, They're doing it because they are trying to live out the implications of those Beatitudes. They're trying to stand up for people who can't stand up for themselves. And after the war is won, the real challenge is to win the peace. Winning the hearts and the minds and making lasting change. Rolling into a country with every weapon in the world is not going to win peace. And so now in Afghanistan and Iraq and in other countries, we're trusting our leaders to bring about that peace. They managed it in Northern Ireland, and I pray that they will manage it in all these other countries. I pray that peace will truly be their goal, that there will be no self-serving need. And I believe that as all of us, As Christians or believers in God, if we all seek justice, show mercy, strive for peace and love one another, then the world will become the place that God has planned.